Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. The oppression of sin in our world can seem like too much to handle. We often looked at systems, power, or money to solve our problems. Our hope in Jesus is the only answer. God has not left us when we've suffered. God has not abandoned us to our grief. God is right here with us. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Good morning to all of you. Those who are online. We're so grateful for you. Glad that you're here. Welcome, everybody. Uh, let me introduce to you our church. Just We do this every week, but if you're new or visiting, uh, I hope that you feel uh, or catch a glimpse of our heart here at this church. We believe in three things. Number one, there's always hope beyond our brokenness. Amen? No matter where we are in life, we want you to know that you're welcome here and that all of us have a story of being lost and found. And second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. And that's what we did in worship, right? I surrender all. God, I'm trusting you with my life and moment by moment by moment by moment. Amen? And third, just like you just did, we bring, get to bring restoration. And so Paul and Abby Rainey this week are going to bring restoration to someone in their life and then come back next week and share the story. We can't wait to see what happens during the second service, but it's incredible the way that God is using you both within your own family and your work environments and school, but then also uh, within your neighbors and your friends, you are making a difference. Oh, there's Paul and Abby right there. Hi, Abby. We love you. I thought you were online. Paul's online. Paul, we love you. Where are you? Abby, welcome. Uh, So let me... Uh, let us say together or declare together uh, our choice to follow Jesus. Disciple just means follower. So this is our choice to follow Jesus. Ready? Let's do this together. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first, and I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Uh, last Sunday, I told the story about how I had walked into work last week, and God said, pick up this book, and I said, fine, and I got to work, and then God said, open up to page 321, which I'd never read before, which is 321, I mean, that's pretty basic, and I was like, okay, and then I read to you the passage from page 321, which says thusly, The church suffers great loss as a result of the prayerlessness of their minister. A minister's business is to train believers for a life of prayer. So could we pray? Because there's a lot going on in our world, a lot going on in our nation. Could we spend a moment to pray? That'd be all right? Let's pray with me. Lord Jesus, we lift up this weary world to you. God, we pray for peace in the Ukraine. God, we pray for an end of the violence there. God, we lift up our weary nation to you. God, we lift up the families in Buffalo that are grieving this Sunday and in Southern California. We stand with you, Jesus, that this racism and violence is wrong, and we lift up those who are wounded and 
grieving. Lord, bless, comfort, help. Lord Jesus, we lift up this weary community to you. So many people in our community don't know how they're going to afford the next thing, God. Lord, help, provide. Lord, we lift up our weary families to you. There are people in our families that are struggling. We lift up our sons to you, our daughters to you, our grandsons and our granddaughters, our spouses to you, our brothers and sisters to you, our parents to you. Please, Lord Jesus, help. Deliver them from evil. Protect them, guard them. Breathe life and hope into them. And Lord, we lift up our weary hearts to you. We lay down the burden of trying to change ourselves. Gladly, Jesus, surrender our lives to you this morning, our hearts to you. We take up the responsibility of owning our choices, our decisions, the situations in life that we find ourselves in, Lord Jesus. And we hand them over to you, God. I just pray your spirit upon those who are listening and watching online, upon those who are in this room, Lord Jesus, open our ears, open our eyes. We love you. We trust you. And we bind up and silence the enemy that would be seeking to distract or bother now. In Jesus' name and God, we are the church. And so with Mojo, we say, get out, Satan. Not today, devil. Amen. You got your mojo on? Give me a snap. Come on, baby. You ready for this? Are you ready? Today, we're going to do some philosophy. We're going to do some history. We're going to do some theology. I'm so excited. Are you so excited? Some of you are not excited. I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited. I was talking to my friend Walter this last week, and he said something that made my jaw drop. He said, our country has forgotten the difference between fault and responsibility. Walter then went on to give an example. He said, it's not your fault when a drunk driver runs the stop sign, plows into you, and you need 15 surgeries in order to recover or learn how to walk again. It is your responsibility to have those surgeries, to do the rehab, and to fight to get your life back. Make sense? It's not your fault. It's not your fault that your spouse betrayed you, but it's your responsibility, whether the marriage survives or not, to move from blame to forgiveness. Picking up what I'm putting down? Yes. To move from anger to love, that is your responsibility. If you want to have the aroma of Christ, you can have the aroma of bitterness. Do you want that? It is your responsibility then, no matter what happens, to choose to move. 
It's not your fault that your child or that your grandchild is choosing a life that is causing pain for those in your family. It is your responsibility to show them love, to speak the truth to them in love with gentleness, to avoid coercions or threats. That is your responsibility. Make sense? Now, you might be wondering, how in the world does this have anything to do with the book of Isaiah? Well, everything, actually. But before we talk more about what Walter said or even Isaiah said, I need to give you some historical background and also some philosophy. And so it's going to help you understand Israel. It's going to help you understand the book of Isaiah and your, whole, and your, your own heart a whole lot better. And I will do my best to, put you to, to not put you to sleep. Okay? Okay? Because I know some, some, for some of you, history and philosophy classes were like, oh, it's nap time. Right? For me, that was math. Um, so I'm going to do my best to not put you to sleep. Can we pray again real quick? Jesus, open our ears, open our hearts. We love you, Lord. This time and space is yours. Amen. Okay, so will you play an imagination game with me? Will you do that? First, I want you to imagine that you and your families, you, your family, your neighbors, your friends, that you don't attend church. Why? Because the nearest church is 200 miles away. Okay, it's in Orange County, right? Or in Mendocino County, right? Or in Mono Lake, Bishop, okay? That's where church is. And there hasn't been a pastor there for years, okay? So you don't go to church. Second, I want you to imagine that every day you suffer. I'm not talking about like you didn't get a parking spot or your Netflix show got canceled I'm talking about you have little to no food most days. Um, you work 12 hours a day, six days a week. Uh, it's cold for eight months out of the year. You have very little to heat your house with. Uh, corrupt government officials take your home when they want to. They, they abuse you when they want to. And there is no justice system to constrain their evil. Okay? Next, I want you to imagine that all of those corrupt people in government actually change the laws so that how they are mistreating you is now legal. Okay? Now, I want you to stop imagining because this is not an imagination exercise. This is history. This is what people in Russia were enduring in the late 1880s and 1890s and a toxic mix of suffering and cruelty and injustice created a burning rage and call for someone to change the ordinary life of Russians in this time period. And such a someone came along in the late 1890s and a guy who said this, number one, God doesn't exist. How could he with such an absent church? Power is the only true force to believe in, and since we've been wronged by those in power, us victims are justified in taking our power back and violently overthrowing our oppressors. Now, I'm not quoting verbatim what Karl Marx said, but this was his philosophy. And Karl Marx changed the world. Lenin started the Marxist revolution in 1905. Mao Zedong started it 
in China in 1947. Pol Pot started it in Cambodia in 1975, and they all followed Marxist ideology to a T. How was their rule in these countries? Do you remember? In Russia, between Lenin and Stalin, from 1905 to 1959, 66 million people were murdered. I'm not talking about deaths from war. I'm talking about the Russian government killing their own people. 66 million. Mao Zedong starved 55 million of his own people and killed another 10 in his political purges during his reign. Pol Pot, out of a country of 8 million Cambodians, killed 3 million from 1975 to 1979. By the late 1970s, philosophers and politicians and the general public finally understood that Marxism was an absolute and complete disaster. Somebody say amen. amen. But in France, there was two philosophers, one named Jacques Derrida and the other one named Jean-Paul Sartre, and they rebranded the ideas of Marxism into what we now call postmodernism. And postmodernism boiled down basically says this those in power don't just oppress us economically, like Marxism says, they oppress us in every possible way. Thus, those who are in power and every structure and institution that they've created and every belief system that those in power hold, by default, must be evil and corrupt. So postmodernism works like this. Number one, read it with me. Wait, one, one last, go back, John. Ayer. Yeah, there you go. Postmodernism. Number one, read it with me. God does not exist. Well, duh. Number two, power is the only truth to believe in. Three, victims are anyone who are not in power. Those who are in power are the oppressors. And four... beliefs and structures of those in power. You following me? Postmodernism claims that if those who are in power are of a particular skin color, then all people of that particular skin color must be oppressors and racists, and they must be kicked out of power. If those people who are in power hold a particular religion, then that religion must be evil and corrupt and be destroyed. If those who are in power are 49ers fans, then 49ers fans must be kicked out of power and be eliminated. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Do you get the idea? Yes? Great. The postmodernist uh, worldview would then argue that as a victim, your only, your only solution is to be outraged and demonize anyone that looks or smells like those in power and then to use violence or any force necessary to gain power. Does that make sense? Now, never mind that these solutions turn the victim into the oppressors that they hate. Don't pay attention to that. Never mind that this is the same horrific thinking that led to the slaughter of 55 million Russians and 65 million Chinese and 3 million Cambodians. This way of thinking, the most modern way of thinking, was taught to me when I was a senior in high school in 1995. Everybody younger than me has been drinking this for 25 years plus. 
It is the culture in which you currently live. You need to understand that in order to navigate this world and the generations that are younger than you. Let me go back to Walter said, what Walter said, my friend Walter. We've forgotten the difference between fault and responsibility. We have created an entire culture where you are celebrated by saying that you're a victim. In fact, the more that you've been victimized, the more voice you have and rights you have. Now, what in the world does Marxist underpinnings of postmodernism and victim ideology have to do with Isaiah? Everything. For 70 years, the Israelites were victims, slaves, oppressed in Babylon. And just like today, the Israelites would lament with anybody else that had been enslaved, if only I was in charge. If only my oppressors were overthrown, then I would be saved. Then everything would be better. And it was so tempting for the Israelites to sum up their suffering in Babylon with the lies that exist in the Marxist ideology of today. God doesn't exist. How could he? I'm suffering. I just need more power. If I just had more power to overthrow those in power, then my life would be better. God has a different and harder message for Israel. It's good news and it's also bad news. Through Isaiah, God tells the people of Israel living in Babylonian captivity that they're not forgotten. Indeed, they are going to be set free, but it's not going to be by their hand. God is going to use the Iranians, the Persians, to do that work of freedom. But then God has some hard news, some bad news, if you will. God says this, read this with me, your problem isn't the Babylonians, your deeper problem is your own sin. The only way you'll truly be free, no matter who is in charge or what you have suffered, is to turn to me. And that's a hard thing to hear when all you want to do is overthrow the people that are hurting you. And so I'm going to ask one more time that we would pray. Because if you understand what Isaiah is saying to you today, your life will dramatically change for the better. What's at stake is more than your salvation. It's your freedom. You're listening probably because you already know Jesus. There are so many of us who are still living in the prison rather than walking free, even though the chains are gone and the prison doors are flung wide open. So would you pray with me one more time? Lord Jesus, open our ears. We speak to our spirit now. Awaken, oh my soul. We bind up and mute everything opposed to Christ in us, on us, around us that would be seeking to bother or mute or frustrate or uh, confuse what's happening here today in your word. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. So Isaiah 50, 45, are you ready? Can you believe we've done 45 chapters of Isaiah in four weeks? You guys are incredible. I'm so impressed that you've memorized 45 chapters of Isaiah. Let's read together, starting in verse 22. Here we go. Are you ready? This is God speaking to 
the Israelites who are lamenting and they have a, a, a justified lament. They are in, in suffering. They're still in Babylonian captivity. This is God speaking to them, to you. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse 22. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. Amen? This is where Paul then, he brings this back up in Philippians, right? That every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. What is God saying? He's saying, I'm the only one who can save you. Turn to me, not to you. We sang that. I surrender. Really? I surrender most, except I'm going to try and save myself here. No, I surrender all. God says, I've sworn to save you, so that at the end of the day, you'll look back and give credit to me, right? We're not going to roll into heaven and going, look how great I am. I made it. I did it. Woo! Gold star. We're going to roll into heaven and go, thank you, God, for saving me. All glory and honor goes to you. In the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. This is good news, yes? But this is hard news for the part of me that is invested in staying a victim. Let me explain. When someone harms us deeply, we become a victim. That's not a bad thing. Okay, that's just how it goes. And then we quickly turn into a survivor. That's not a bad thing. That's just how it goes. But this is where we can get stuck. Our culture right now actually encourages us to remain stuck here. A survivor or a victim reacts to things. We view ourselves as helpless or stuck People are, things are really black and white in our relationships, either people for us or, or are against us. We end up making decisions to cut people off and out of our lives if they're not invested in our identity as a victim. We blame people. We use the tool of resentment a lot. My friend Walter talked about how we can go from victim to survivors, but then we could also become an overcomer. An overcomer accepts what has happened to them. They take responsibility for their recovery. When you accept what has happened to you, you don't say it's okay. No, you say that was terrible. But then you say, I'm actually going to move forward through it now. Overcomers forgive. Overcomers hate what has happened to them, but then they seek new choices to live in freedom rather than stuck is this has happened to me and so I can never change or move on from this. 
Overcomers are those of us who rejoice in, in Jesus' daily love and moment-by-moment moment compassion and provision for us because we know that Jesus can absolutely empathize with us because he's been harmed and hurt too. Read with me verse 13. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst in the song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. I know God's comfort and compassion, but I think if we're all honest, we could admit that there's still a little corner of our hearts that still feels like we're stuck in survival mode. Am I right? <laughs> right? Let me give you an example. I'm not afraid of your healing or rescue or redemption. I see it every week, and it's spectacular. I am so confident in God's ability to heal you. It's just, it's so simple and straightforward to me. I get a front row seat to God healing you. That's what I do for a living. It's spectacular. Right? But God healing my own heart? Mm, that's, where, that's where sometimes I get doubts. Sometimes I get afraid that my heart will be stuck, that I'll be alone trying to do my best, and that I won't get help or I won't get healed. I know you can't relate with me. Actually, you can, because that's what you say too. That's where there's a part of my heart. Now, I'm not talking about 1995, what happened back then. I'm talking about 2022. This is where I am today. I still feel like there's a part of my heart that's still surviving. And this is why the very next verse in Isaiah 49, verse 14, describes that part of our heart that still feels like we're surviving. Verse 14, God says, shout for joy, you heavens. But Zion says... The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. I love how honest the Bible is about our experience as human beings. All of us have moments of grief and anxiety when we feel like God isn't there. And if you don't believe God exists, then your deep suffering will become the engine for such rage that whether it's Marxism or adopting the victim mentality or living in resentment, that will make total sense to you and you will go there. Our hope in Jesus is the only answer. God has not left us when we've suffered. God has not abandoned us to our grief. God is right here with you in this moment. Would you read verse 15 with me in Isaiah 49? It's the very next verse. Ready? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Moms don't forget their kids. Amen, ladies? Have you ever talked to a mother when she hears her own child crying, right? Like, like literally it hurts her physically. She won't forget her baby. God will never forget you. God is head over heels in love with you. 
God loves you far more than you love your own children. Keep on reading with me, verse 16. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Your face is literally embossed, tattooed, carved, written on God's hand. The walls, that's the walls of Jerusalem, that's a metaphor for everything that's in your life. He's carved you and all your concerns and all your worries and all your hopes and all your dreams, and all the people that you love. He has that all before him. Every single moment of every single day, he has not forgotten you. On the cross, when our Savior's hands were pierced with iron nails, he remembered you. As he looked at the nails through his hands, he still saw your face. And he chose to stay there. He could have called down a legion of angels to destroy everybody that was in charge of his suffering. He could have wrecked and destroyed every single system of injustice in that moment with a single word or prayer. And what does Jesus do? He remained on the cross, endured that engraving on his hands for you because your dreams and your life and your hope and your forgiveness and your salvation are ever before him. Jesus was victimized on our behalf on the cross and then Jesus overcame the power of sin that crushed him, the sin that crushes you the sin that you've been crushed by. He conquered that evil and death in his resurrection so that you and I might live from a brand new place, a place of glorious inheritance where we no longer just survive, but now we can overcome. Somebody give me an amen. This is our inheritance. We don't just become a victim or a survivor, and we don't even just become an overcomer What do we become? We become more than a conqueror in Christ. Jesus demolishes the arguments of Marxism because Jesus is the ultimate power of the universe and he never oppresses. He does not condemn. He does not kill. No, Jesus, who is God and Lord over all, becomes the oppressed. He becomes the condemned. He is killed in order to forgive, to forgive and redeem all of us rebels. Somebody give me an amen. I'm preaching now. Jesus demolishes the identity of being a victim or an orphan because on the cross he was victimized and orphaned from our heavenly father as he took on everything that would victimize me. All my sin, all my rebellion, and he paid the price for me and for you to be set free forever. When Jesus touches the scars that are on his hands to this day, he is not angry with you. He is not disappointed with you. He is head over heels in love with you because your face is always before him and he is for you. There was no cost that he has not paid 
in order to adopt you and free you. So, can I ask you a question? What would it look like in your daily life if you started to live like a beloved overcomer, a conqueror in Christ, a beloved child of God? In order for me to answer the question, for you to answer this question, I just think about that verse that we are engraved on his hands. God is always thinking about you. It's weird to think of your face tattooed on God's palm, but it's kind of like that, right? God is always paying attention to you. So what would that look like for you? If God pays that much attention to you, maybe you could start paying that much attention to God. Does that make sense? God listens to me moment by moment, so then I get to listen to God moment by moment. God doesn't just pay attention to you on Sunday mornings at, from like 9 to 10, 20 a.m. Somebody say amen, amen. right? Because, I mean, like, that's why you want to be done. Like, you know, like God's time's almost up. It's only an hour and 10 minutes on Sundays. And then he's like, oh, I'm off to the next church. It's not how it works. <laughs> God pays attention to you moment by moment by moment. The rabbis used to say that, that God's, God's name, Yahweh, yod Hey vah Hey, that's how you spell Yahweh in Hebrew, is the sound of breath. yod Hey vah That God's, vo God's name is literally the sound of your breath because God is always with every single breath you take committed to you. God is attentive to me. I get to be attentive to God. What if you and I started living like this? Can I ask you another annoying question? I'm going to ask it anyways. <laughs> Do you have a rhythm or practice to remember the depth of God's love for you? Have you placed within the structure of your day dedicated times to listen to God, to remember his love for you, to sit in quiet trust with him, to let him cover you with his love? Let me put this bluntly. You will forget the depths of God loves for you unless you build into your life a rhythm, a practice where you are actually talking to him and listening to him and letting him love you. Does that make sense? I cannot preach into your heart your inheritance as a beloved child of God. I can't do it. I can't get it in there. That's your work with your heavenly father. If you want to enjoy all the benefits as a beloved child of God, you have to figure out, you have to not figure out, you have to choose to pray, to listen, to talk to the living, breathing God of the universe who's head over heels in love with you. Can I ask you another annoying question? Yes. Thank you. I'll take that as permission for everybody. What would happen if, in that area where you feel like you're just surviving, what if you became an overcomer? 
What would it look like for you to take responsibility for your recovery? What would you do next? Go to table talk. Tim says go to table talk. Yeah, come to table talk. You could come across the street afterwards and talk about this all. I, I love what this looks like in our day-to-day lives because oftentimes what we do in our day-to-day lives, we think of ourselves, when we're surviving, we think, I can't do anything about this. I'm just kind of stuck, and so I'm just going to give up. But when you actually become an overcomer and then more than a conqueror in Christ, you say, I actually can do something about what's going on in my life. I can, I can control how I respond even if I'm not in charge of what other people do. Does that make sense? I've told you this story before, but on land the plane here, but I love this story. So President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, this is World War II. He, was, he hated receiving lines because he never... He just, people would not listen to the President of the United States. They were so flabbergasted that they were there in the White House and meeting the President of the United States that they, they would, he would say, how are you? And they would say, oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And he'd be like, no, no, I asked you, how are you? Or he would ask you, pay attention to them, say, how's your mother? How's your kids? And they would just, they wouldn't answer. Does that make sense? So he felt like he was just surviving the receiving lines until one day he decided, you know what? I'm going to get my mojo back. And so what he started doing is, is that he would greet people and he would just say, I just had my mother-in-law killed. And they would say, wonderful, so nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting me. They, wouldn't, they still wouldn't do it. But at least he, like, obviously he didn't have his mother-in-law killed. Um, that was Taft. Um, but uh, I don't know that. Anyways, uh, he didn't do that. He was just having fun playing. Uh, until in this one day, the, minister, the ambassador from Bolivia looked at President Roosevelt and said, I'm sure she had it coming. Uh, he was the only one who ever actually listened to what he said. So what might motivate you to go from surviving to overcoming, to get your mojo back? Let me give you two final reasons. First, if you start listening to God, you're going to develop the skill set to listen to other people. You're going to learn to pay attention. You're going to learn to hold your tongue. You're going to learn to seek understanding rather than to get, a point your, uh, to get your point across first so you can win the argument. Does that make sense? So that's a, that's a motivating factor, right? If you listen to God you'll, and start talking to God, you'll learn how to listen to other people. But that's kind of self-serving. Let me give you a more important reason that's way more important than that. Here's what might motivate you to take time, moment by moment, to follow God's direction, to do it His way rather than your way. Your, Your heavenly Father has scars on His hands too. And so does the Holy Spirit. This is a truth that mystifies me. Our God is one. What Jesus endured on the cross, so did God the Father and God the Spirit for you. When you get to heaven, you're going to see that God is absolutely committed and dedicated to you. And the moment, the moments in your life, the more that you talk with God and listen to Him, the aroma of love and care and compassion that he has for you will emanate from your being and you will become the person 
that listens to others, that heals your family and your community and changes the national conversation. We will become the people that change the world. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us how to pray more and more and more. Holy Spirit, form in us a spirit of prayer, a spirit of worship. We surrender all. We make room for you. God, we are so grateful that your goodness has been running after us that all our lives you have been faithful to us. Thank you for engraving us on the palm of your hand. And God, you have people in our lives that you've put on the palms of our hands, our family, our neighbors, our loved ones. Jesus, use us. We love you, Lord. Bless all the good news of the gospel that has been poured into the hearts and minds of my friends today online and here in this space. Bless my friends richly, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand for the benediction? I'm so grateful for all of you. We have fresh strawberries from Akui's. You know they're the best. And we got bagels for you. We love you. Don't forget everything you eat on campus is calorie free. <laughs> now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance. That's his delight in you. Give you the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. I love you all. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior pastor of Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website www.mycoastal.org. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you have a great week.